Well, let's keep that passage open in front of us as we track our way through it. And uh, as we come to consider it together, uh, let's bow our heads and pray and ask for God's help to understand it. Our Father, we read in your words in the book of James, these words do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Lord, help us not to be hearers only, uh, but doers also. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Uh, Michael James Anderson is a former pastor here at Charlotte Chapel. Uh, many of you will remember him. And he has a great little book called What is Your Worldview? In it, he explains what a worldview is. It is, of course, a person's philosophical view of the world. You're welcome. It's a very good explanation. A person's worldview basically represents his most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe that that person inhabits. It reflects how that person would answer all the big questions, like uh, who and what are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where, if anywhere, are we headed? Uh, what's the meaning and purpose of life? What is the nature of the afterlife, if there is one? And what counts as a good life in the here and now? Now, not many people really stop to think what their worldview is. But it's usually a combination, whether it's actively pursued or passively kind of absorbed from different things around them. It's usually a combination of reason, I think it, or experience, I feel it, tradition, we've done it, or aspiration, we want it. Now, you don't have to have given much thought to it. You don't need to go to uni lecture halls or parliament buildings to form the worldview. You can be taught, influenced, informed, persuaded to believe and behave and build your lives in certain ways by simply scrolling through your phone, by watching TV, to form a worldview, and so on. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of voices that clamber for our attention nowadays and seek to influence us in all kinds of ways nowadays. But whose teaching do we sit under? Whose influence on our lives, on what we believe and on how we behave, do we permit actively, as I said, or passively? And is what we believe strong enough to make sense of life and sturdy enough to withstand the trials of life. Ultimately, this passage that was just read to us a moment ago says, if you're building your life on anything but the words of Jesus Christ, the answer is no. Not strong enough. Not sturdy enough. And what we have in this passage is is really a, a, a way to consider how we know what teaching is worth following and how we know whose words to base our lives on, what worldview indeed to live by. Jesus tells us this is how we do it. As he wraps up this sermon on the plain, he says two things. Firstly, you look for fruit, recognizing what is good, and then you make his word very clearly, there's no bones about it in this passage. You make his word your foundation, fruit, foundation. Build your life on what is good. And that will be our outline tonight. Fruit, 
foundation. Number one, you look for fruit. You recognize what is good. This is what we see in verses 43 to 44. Uh, verses 43, uh, 46, sorry. 43 to 44, we have a lesson in triology. See what I did there. Uh, you, you can identify the health and the nature of trees by simple observation. Okay? Jesus explains, a tree produces fruit consistent with its health. And do note that it's actually good trees and bad trees that are in view. Verse 43 tells us that uh, Jesus tells us there are good trees and bad trees, healthy trees, unhealthy trees, and he has fruit in mind, and so should we. So the produce, if you like. And, and let me ask you the question, even as you think of a good tree, a healthy tree, or a bad tree, an unhealthy tree, which tree would you rather eat fruit from? It's a very obvious response. Um, when I was a kid, I used to visit my great uncle and great aunt in Devon. Uh, they had this great apple tree in the back garden. Uh, the apples on it, if you visited the right time of year, they were ready to be picked. They were, they were big, they were shiny, they were juicy. None of those spots or blemishes on them. Uh, not like my friend uh, who had a plum tree in his back garden whose leaves were covered in black spots and the fruit was always like a mushy, weird shape. Didn't look like a plum, looked like something else. Uh, which fruit would you rather eat? Which tree would you rather eat from? It's an obvious answer. And it's an obvious thing that Jesus is trying to teach. It is the good tree that we prefer because good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit. No bad tree bears good fruit. So in other words, a tree doesn't just produce fruit consistent with its health. A tree produces, what a tree produces is consistent with its kind, its nature, whether it's good or whether it's bad, tells you what kind of fruit you're going to get from it. In verses 44, verse 44, we see the proof of this. There's, there's humor in this as well. Jesus is saying, you know, people just don't walk. It's very, this is a very obvious principle. Proven by the fact that people just don't walk up to a thorn bush looking to pick some figs and go, why are there no figs on this thorn bush? It's completely ludicrous. Or to a briar looking for grapes. You can imagine the crowd sitting listening to him going, imagine going looking for grapes on a briar, dafty. No, it's not going to happen. A fig tree is self-evidently a fig tree. And people know what kind of tree it is ultimately by what it produces. Then here comes the lesson in theology from verse 45. You can identify in the same way the health and the nature of people. A person produces fruit consistent with their heart, consistent with their own nature. Verse 45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Now notice, nature. One man is good and the other is evil. Okay, there are two kinds of people in view and only two. Behavior 
One brings good out, the other brings evil out. The reason for the behavior, one does so out of the good he has stored up, is the words, are the words that are used, in his heart. The other, uh, what does so out of the evil stored up in his. And that's not all. Jesus goes on to then give us essentially what is the perfect tell for whether a person is good or evil. It's the mouth. What does a person's mouth produce? The mouth speaks, verse 45, what the heart is full of. Now, the Bible has an awful lot to say, cover to cover, on the mouth and how dangerous it is. Uh, in the book of James, it's likened to a fire. That tongue of ours can set a whole forest fire, if you like. The Bible condemns everything from unwholesome talk to coarse joking to outright lies and vitriolic abuse. There are good ways to use our mouths, the Bible says, and there are evil ways to use our mouths. And we can think perhaps from our very own lives, from the things that we've used our mouths to say, or the things that we've heard from other people's mouths that give an indication of either good or evil. I mean, think about your own experience. Have you ever been in an argument where you've said something harsh and angry? You've spoken words that were mean and designed to hurt. I'm sure we all have. But have you ever followed that up, feeling a sense of guilt and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that? That's actually not true. What you mean to say is, I, I'm sorry I said what I said. That's what you should say. Because ultimately, there's nothing that comes out of us, according to this principle that Jesus teaches. There's nothing that comes out of us that's not in there in the first place. So if we speak lies, there's deceit in there. If we speak angry words, there's hatred in there. There's unloving. It's unlo you're unloving in your heart. So maybe we joke inappropriately about sensitive matters to the extent that we find ourselves asking, oh, have I taken that too far? Make a joke about it. Well, probably the answer is yes. If you recognize it, other people have. There are many ways to sin with our mouths, friends, and we should take note even of this principle because what comes out is actually what's inside. So the encouragement for us in this simple illustration at the start is in a general sense, to look for fruit in our own lives and in each other, we can apply it in that way. I'm going to get to the main application of it in a second. But we should, apply, we should apply it in this way to ourselves. Ask yourself, if the good that you do or say is the sign of the good that's in you, how is your heart? Do you see good? Do you hear good overflowing from a good heart? Then praise God and be assured because fruitfulness and a good and a godly use of our mouth is a symbol of spiritual maturity. In Galatians 5, good fruit is, we're told that good fruit is produced when the Spirit lives in us. Jesus called us to bear fruit that is good and to speak 
Good words. Words that build up. Words that give life. Not that tear down and take it away. But maybe you see, see evil. Then pray to God if you're a believer and be transformed. Because let's remember, an act of evil, a sin, isn't necessarily a sign that you have a heart that has not been transformed. If you still sin in your Christian life, it's not an indication that you are evil in your heart, for our hearts have been transformed. Our hearts, the regenerate heart, is not a sin-free heart, remember, not yet, one day. But the regenerate heart is a repentant heart still, sorry over sin and praying for change. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. My encouragement for you is to look for this kind of fruit in your own life. When you read what Jesus says in here and about the sins of the mouth, the way that we sin and offend God primarily and others by use of our mouth, where does that leave us? What does it say about the state of our, the health, state of our health and of our nature? Well, if it discloses to us that we are bad fruits, evil in our nature, then that's a stark thing to face up to. But actually, the Lord invites us to come to him, to turn to him, to seek forgiveness from him, because he loves to give it. So cultivate this kind of good fruit, producing good fruit in your lives. The way we do that is by remaining in him. No branch can bear fruit by itself, Jesus said. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Prove the goodness of the transformed heart that he has given you by saying good and bearing good fruit. But while this text, as I said, can be applied generally to all, I believe Jesus actually has specifically people who spout and who teach bad doctrine in mind, and in particular, the Pharisees. Um, whenever you see these words used in other parts of the Gospels uh, from the lips of Jesus, they are referring to false teaching. So in Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 15 to 20, you find Jesus um, warning of people who spout bad, bad doctrine, like the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, and he calls them, if you remember, wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay, so they are a danger in disguise. And then again in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, Jesus uses an occasion when these Pharisees and teachers of the law again are basically undermining Jesus' teaching and calling him in public a demon and saying, uh, and, and Jesus says to them, look for fruit in people like this so you can be good at discerning what they're trying to teach you and recognize them for what they are so that you don't believe what they believe and do what they do and become like them. Jesus says you can tell what they're like. You can discern what kind of teaching and what kind of heart it's coming from because he says out of the overflow of the heart, again, the mouth speaks. And verse 37 in Matthew 12, by your words, he reminds them, 
you will either be acquitted or condemned. In other words, through faith in Jesus Christ or his rejection. So these teachers of the law who were there at this time when he was delivering this sermon had corrupted the law of God and turned it into a taskmaster's whip. They claimed to be teachers. They tried to give the impression that they were good trees, but their mouths gave it away. They were evil and therefore very, very dangerous. To believe them is to become like them. To become like them, in Jesus' own words, is to become twice as much a child of hell as they were. Strong words. So listen, neither lies nor angry words are, or any of those are the worst thing that can come out of a person's mouth. False teaching is. The former hurts for sure, but the latter brings condemnation. That's why it's important to learn Christ's teaching, to recognize false teachers for our safety and for our salvation. So Jesus says, listen, you want to understand whether somebody's worldview is a good thing. You want to understand whether what somebody teaches you and wants to influence you with, wants you to adopt for your lifestyle, then look for fruit. Listen to what comes out of their mouth. See what it produces in them. See what it produces in people who follow them. And be very, very discerning. Is it good? Is it evil? The simple application then from that is that we must examine those who teach. If we're going to devote ourselves to what people teach, it's important to know their hearts. Now, admittedly, it is sometimes really hard to tell with each other and with teachers. It often takes a while until we can tell the difference between sometimes what you might call God's wheat and the devil's weeds, but we must try Discernment is a biblical principle, a biblical value. But just as the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart, so behavior betrays what a person truly believes. If it's good, if it's of God, follow it. Run after it. Enjoy it. Learn it. Apply it. If it's evil, run for your life. Well, what about Christ and all he taught? Let's apply this principle to him. I think he meant us to do that. To examine and compare the bad teachers, the bad trees producing bad fruit with all the ultimate good tree, Jesus himself, and the good fruit, the ultimate good fruit that he will produce. Salvation for all who come to him in faith and repentance, who by his own words promises the ultimate good to those who follow him, who by his own words teaches the truth that completely reorients our entire existence to true north of the existence of God, that we are his accountable creation, and that he has Moved in all that he has made, he has entered into humanity that we might be redeemed, that we might know him, love him, and follow Christ. He is consistently 
sinless. He cannot be accused of hypocrisy. What he said, he did. He practiced what he preached. Now, we should build our lives on him. And that's why we should build our lives on his word and his teaching, because his word is the only foundation for living truly fruitful lives. And this is point two. You lay a foundation by building your life on what is good. This is how to live your life. And take care to do it right. Because Jesus highlights in this closing section of this sermon in verses 46 to 49 that there are two ways that people commonly get this wrong. By saying and not doing and by hearing and not doing. First of all, verse 46, by saying and not doing. Jesus says, okay, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? In those days, to call someone Lord, of course, was to recognize someone's authority. But it was also a statement of your, if you like, allegiance to them, your submission to them, your deference. And to call someone Lord, Lord, to repeat the name or the title, was to emphasize, to bold italics and underline that authority and your allegiance at the same time. But Jesus says, you address me in these terms with that kind of accolade, title, expressing that kind of level, that emphatic level of allegiance, and, and yet, you don't do what I say. You're like the people in the psalmist talks about who takes the words of God and casts them behind them. Well, what do we call people like that who, who behave in that way? We call them hypocrites. We have reason to question sincerity. And that's what Jesus is doing here. If you say one thing and do another thing, I don't believe the thing you say in the first place. And Jesus is teaching us that his following him requires more than empty profession. He said so himself in another place, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So say and do. Call him Lord, for that is what he is, and live in submission to him. But there's a second way to wrongly lay a foundation for life, and it's by hearing and not doing. That's what we see in verses 47 to 49. And that's what's at the heart of this little parable of the two builders that wraps up this sermon on the plain. Now, Jesus compares those who hear his word and do it with those who hear his word and don't do it to two builders building homes. And what do we see? It's plain to see right in front of us. It's so simple. The first one, dug down deep, and laid a good foundation on solid rock. The second, built on the ground, so in other words, without digging down, and without setting it on any kind of foundation. The first builder took care to do it right. The second took no care whatsoever. He was careless. And as a result, when the torrents came, and I think that here this refers to the trials and difficulties of life, what do we find? The first house that, that was laid on the solid foundation, did, it, it did, the torrents did not even shake it. 
It stood so firm. But the second didn't stand a chance. It collapsed in a heap. It was a write-off. Its destruction was complete, Jesus says. Now, Jesus says this is the difference that hearing and doing makes. If you hear and you do, then you'll be like the person who's laid the solid foundation, who's building on the solid ground, not like the one who builds without any kind of foundation on ground that will simply be washed away and with it, whatever you've constructed in your life. Now, the Bible repeats this whole notion again and again, that it's important to be hearers and doers. Hearing is crucial. And the number of times that that's even emphasized is important. Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration, what did God say? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Later in our series from Luke chapter 8, we're going to hear Jesus appeal to the people who he's teaching to, to say, take care how you listen. There's a way to do it which expresses which, or demonstrates the kind of care that is implied and assumed in this parable. And hearing is what Jesus' followers do, as he says in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. But doing is also vital. James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What does obedience look like for us? Are we hearers only or hearers and doers? Well, the encouragement in this passage is to see that this is what following Jesus looks like. Hearing and doing on account of his authority. Uh, building our lives on his word, doing what he says as the only way to live. It involves, as the text says, coming to him, hearing his word, doing what he says. And if you're here tonight, you're not a believer, this is what you can do. Doesn't matter how you have sinned in the past, you can come to him. He will not drive you away. You can hear his word, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and was raised again to life according to the scriptures, that we might be saved and have new life in his name if we repent and believe the good news. And that's why we should do what he says. As Romans 10 tells us, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's as simple as coming, hearing, and doing. But those who already believe, brothers and sisters, is this how we are living our lives? Are our lives built on the foundation of the word of Jesus Christ, the Word of God? And are we taking care not only to hear, but to do? Right, sometimes our coming to Him is occasional. And sometimes our hearing is deficient. Whether we're gathering like this, or neglecting God's Word in our homes, 
in our private lives, we're inattentive, paying as much attention to his teaching as we do the a flight attendant going through a safety briefing. We've got the noise-canceling earphones in when it comes to what he says. And sometimes our obedience is lackluster. We hear and we think, wow, that was, that was good. That was, whoa, that was challenging. And we go away and do nothing about it. To the point that you're asked on a Tuesday, what was the sermon all about on Sunday? Ah, and that's just in the Tuesday staff meeting. Let's not forget that our doing when it comes to Christ's word is actually a mark of our submission and even more than that, it's a mark of our love for him. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey what I command. It's hard. But praise God, he forgives us for our disobedience, for every single instance of it. And praise God that by the Spirit He sent to live in our hearts, He gives us new grace for every day to be those who walk in His ways, who meditate on His words, and who enjoy following Him, hearing, who enjoy doing what He says, living, and having it have an impact even on others. So the question is how will you choose? Jesus ends this sermon on a plane with a very serious choice to make, actually. The way it ends is very, very striking. He's essentially asking, okay, when it comes to worldviews, there are tons of voices out there, but whose voice are you actually going to listen to? If you look at the fruit of what is produced by all these different voices, of all these different teachers, of all these different philosophies and ideologies, who has the best fruit? Who does what it says on the tin? Whose words and whose life is consistent in ways that no accusation of hypocrisy can be leveled at them? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is therefore thrown to us. Whose words will you build your life on? The worldview of others or the teaching of Christ? And as if to drive the point home to ensure that we recognize that the only answer to that is Christ. The last thing you hear in the text is the crash of the house of the foolish builder coming down. Let's pray. Take a moment in the quietness, please, just to offer your own prayers of response, whether you want to say sorry, or whether you want to say thank you, or ask God to help you do what he says. Take a moment to pray.
our Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came into this world to tell us the truth about you, about ourselves, and where we stand with you without him, and how he came to teach the truth about how we ought to reorient our entire lives and build them on him and his words. Lord, help us to do that more and more as your children. Thank you for the salvation that we have found in him. Thank you for leading us to the point where we have rejected the voices of this world that tell us of another way or another lens through which to view the world. You've shown us what's true, and you've given us salvation, and we praise you for that. Forgive us, Lord, for ways in which we live that are inconsistent with the salvation that you've given us, where we are hearers but not doers. Lord, help us to be doers also, to put into practice the words and the works of Jesus that we might prove to others that his salvation is true and on offer to them. Lord, help us to bear good fruit and to do it in your name we ask it. Amen. Well, the passage reminds us that those who build their lives on the solid foundation of the word of Christ will not be shaken when the torrents come. And let's stand together and sing of that theme as we sing, uh, will your anchor hold?